Can you turn with me to Mark chapter 2 this morning? Mark chapter 2. And uh, I was notified I had to kind of change some directions today. How many of you ever planned on something and the Lord changes your direction? Right? Anything ever? Have you ever planned on something? You set out to do something and all of a sudden something happens and well, I got notified today that some things took place. I was going to show you an amazing video that I can't show you because our video machine isn't working. So I said, okay, Holy Spirit, plan B. And so uh, I, I wasn't planning on sharing this today but because I'm going to be starting a faith series, but I want to take you into something that I think was a really key issue that moved in the Gospels, and one of the most powerful tools that we have is our faith, and I want to talk to you about what faith looks like, what faith looks like. And uh, how many of you believe that we're people of faith? The Bible says that the just shall live by faith, not their feelings, not their sight, but by faith. The, the just shall walk by faith. The apostle Paul said that our walk of faith sometimes is a fight. He says, fight the good fight. Everyone say, good fight. Good Have you ever thought about your faith? Your faith is a fight? How many of you know the devil wants to destroy your faith? And he wants to knock you out of the fight. And sometimes our feelings, our emotions, or maybe information or something comes to us and hits us. And it, when it hits us, we were not expecting those kind of things. And so we begin to either fight or we quit. We give up or we stay in the fray in the battle. Amen? I remember seeing a story. Uh, I saw a movie a long time ago. It was kind of a unnerving story. I, I, I watched it. How many have ever seen that movie, Saving Private Ryan? Anybody ever saw that? I, uh, when I started seeing the movie, I, it kind of shocked me a little bit, but a lot of people that have been in battle said there, there was a lot of reality to that that was pretty close to reality. But uh, a man by the name, an actor by the name of Tom, Tom Hanks played the, in the senior role and uh, one of the, th the things I took away from the movie I thought was interesting is they were out to find this private by the name of Ryan. And, uh, and uh, they were a fighting platoon. They were Marines, and they were out fighting on the German front. But they were called to go back to look for a private Ryan, if you remember that movie. And one of the things they had to do is they needed to get a translator. And so they went back into the offices way behind, or not behind, but way off the front line of the battle. And uh, they were issued a young man who in one sense was a CO. That's called a conscientious objector. But they gave him duty by doing office work in an office. And in the movie, he's trying to let his superiors know, wait a minute, guys, I'm not a soldier. I don't use a weapon. I... I am not, you know, yeah, and one guy asked him, did you go to boot camp? Yeah, I went to boot camp. Then he said, uh, well, you can fight. And so he was reluctant to go, but the reason why they had him go was because he could understand different languages, and he was a, so they put him, put a gun in his hand, and he just felt completely awkward, completely awkward in the whole situation. Well, near the end of the movie, 
They're in one of the battles of their life. And one of his duties and responsibilities, says, since he would not fight, is that he was to be the ammo guy that was to bring ammunition to the guys when they were uh, getting out of ammunition. And it shows this scene where the guy begins to break down and start crying. And his platoon was just getting chewed apart. They were getting... They were calling him out and said, come, we need the ammo. We need to get some ammunition. And the guy froze. He just stood there and he just literally cried and just cried and he wept. And his guys were getting butchered and beaten and shot up. It was actually a pretty horrible scene. In fact, he had a gun. He had a gun in his hand on one scene and he was down at the bottom of the stairways and one of the prisoners that they let go happened to be a commander that turned against them later in the movie and begin to shoot them and, and kill a lot of their platoon because they, they didn't execute that one prisoner. And he turned against them at the end of the movie. But what I'm trying to say is because this one soldier would not engage in the battle, simply because he was a CEO, a conscientious objector, a lot of his other fellas got shot and they were killed. How many of you know that even in Christianity, we need to fight for one another? We can't afford to pull ourselves out of the fight and say, you know what, this is too messy for me. I can't be a leader. I can't be a husband. I can't be a wife. I can't fight. This is not what I thought, this is not what I signed up for. I come to find out through the George Barna, who, who does a lot of trends, that a lot of people, when they get into Christianity, they come to find out, wow, this is not what I thought serving God was all about. And you know, how many of you know that sometimes serving God in the beginning, the Lord answers all your prayers, and you see breakthroughs, and things are just going great. Wow, I'm on my way to heaven. If this is heaven, man, I, I signed up for the right thing. All of a sudden, you come to find out later on, He's not answering all your prayers in the time that he thought, you thought that he would. Or you're into some things over your head. Or maybe you made some decisions that you come later on to think, you know what, God, you tricked me. You tricked me. I, I didn't sign up for this. And so we disengage. And it's almost like it's a setup. And so the devil's breathing down your neck and say, you know what, you joined the wrong church or you got in the wrong marriage or you got here and you got there. And yet the, the devil is doing everything he can to be divisive. He's doing everything he can to destroy you or the people around you. You see, all of us, all of us are on the same team. How many of you believe we're all on the same team? You know, when we were at our park yesterday, there were different people that different face, different streams that, that are not in our stream. And the Holy Spirit said, Ray, they're on your team. They're on your team. Well, Lord, they don't speak in tongues. They're on your team. You need to honor them. They may not do everything scripturally and biblically. They may not necessarily have their ecclesiology and their eschatology in the same line that you, but they're on your team. And what they are is they love me. They love Jesus. And we need to, as churches, need to learn to integrate and learn to realize that our unity is not always based upon what we always agree on, 
But unity gives us the freedom to honor each other and to disagree in an agreeable way. I don't have the right to make you people think anything like me. That's not, that's what, what unity is. Unity is based upon the fact that we're in Christ. We love one another. We're never always going to say, by the way, I've been married to my wife. We just celebrated our 40th anniversary. By the way, we were gone the past two. And I got a news flash for you. We don't think alike. After 40 years, we still disagree on some things. And guess what I've learned? I am not going to change her. So don't shout me down now. And, and, you're not gonna, and she's not going to change me. But, but that's okay. But I need to still love her and honor her. Amen? And that's, that's where the battle gets. But here we find four men that are not part of the discipleship crew in Mark chapter 2. I'm going to read this. It says, and again, verse 2, or verse 1, Mark 2, verse 1. And again, he entered into Capernaum after some days, and it was heard that he was in the house. When Jesus is in the house, immediately many gathered together so that there was no longer room to receive them, not even near the door. And he preached the word to them. Then they came to him, bringing a paralytic, who was carried by four men. And when they could not come near him, because of the crowd, they uncovered the roof where he was, so when they had broken through, they let down the bed on which the paralytic was lying. Verse 5, key verse. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Son, your sins are forgiven you. Some of the scribes were sitting there and reasoning in their hearts. Why does this man speak blaspheming? Who can forgive sins but God alone? But immediately when Jesus perceived in his spirit that they had reasoned thus within themselves, he said to them, Why do you reason these things in your hearts? Which is easier to say, paralytic, your sons are forgiven, or arise, take up your bed and walk. But you may know that the Son of Man, I want you to notice in verse 10, anytime you see the phrase Son of Man, there's a reason why it says Son of Man. It could have said Son of God. He was the Son of God. But you know why Jesus, the Scripture uses the Son of Man? It's because Jesus is the first God-man that would walk in the full inheritance of what the kingdom was to bring not only to one son, but to many sons and daughters. What Jesus is doing here as the son of man, he's the firstborn among many, which means that we have that same authority and same heritage in Christ to do the same thing that Jesus did. You have that same authority and power. So he says, I say unto you, arise, take up your bed, and go your way to your house. And immediately he rose up from the bed, went out in the presence of them all, so that they were amazed. Everyone say amazed. And glorified God, saying, we never saw anything like this. That's what church should be like. 
When people leave, they should be saying, well, we've never seen anything like this before. What do you believe that's what God wants to do? We've never seen, we've never heard, we've never recognized. There's something refreshing. There's something powerful about this. But I want to go back to what Jesus said in verse 5. It says, when he saw their faith. Now, I didn't have time to put a PowerPoint, but I want to give you some things, what Jesus saw in their faith. The first thing faith begins with is a vision. These four men, they're nameless. But these four men had a vision. There was some kind of vision. There was something that was planted in their heart. And these people didn't just come to hear a word. They came with an expectancy to see God do something. Let me ask you, have you ever come to church with a sense of expectancy? Something's going to happen today. When you come with that kind of faith, that's what pleases God. The Bible says God is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. He's a rewarder. He comes to reward, and guess what? He even rewards and blesses you when you're not worthy of it. Because God doesn't just reign upon the just, he reigns upon the unjust. He comes to bless you abundantly. He comes, his desire is to bless you and to bring peace in your life. You know what, I gotta share something with you. A couple of years ago, I was extremely stressed and burned out. A couple of years ago, that's one of the reasons why I went on a sabbatical as well. But I had a vision. The Lord had given me a vision of something that was completely out of my frame of thinking. I would have never thought like this. But again, it was early morning hours. I was waking up out of my sleep. And I remember seeing, I was on the beach. I was actually on a beachhead. And I was the only one on the beach. And way down on the beach, there was a man sitting on the seashore, halfway in the water. And the waves were crashing in on him. And I thought to myself, this is interesting. Why would this man be sitting on the beach, just sitting there while water, the ocean, was crashing in on him? Well, he turns and he looks at me and he does this. And I didn't realize it, but it was the Lord himself. Jesus was sitting and he just was calling me to come over. And I remember walking in my dream over to one of the reasons why I thought it was Jesus is the guy had long hair and a white long robe. I mean, I, I don't always see Jesus that way, but in my dream, I saw Jesus in this white, and he just sitting there, and he says, what do you think of those ways, man? And I'm thinking, well, you're getting wet. And he said, I want you to just sit down with me right here as the waves are crashing in on you. And I said, Jesus, shouldn't you be in a synagogue somewhere? To, I'm, I'm talking to the Lord. This is not Jesus just sitting on the seashore as the waves are crashing in. He says, I want you to sit with me and let the waves crash in on you, and I want you to get refreshed. Now, I was sitting there arguing with Jesus because I didn't think Jesus should be sitting there wasting his time as the waves come in and hit him on the shore. That just wasn't my picture of Jesus. How many of you know God has a way of expanding us. So I sat down there, and as we're sitting there together, I'm getting wet. My pants, my shoes, in my dream, this vision, I'm getting wet. Then he picks me up, 
and he begins to walk out on the ocean. And then I woke up. That was it. I wish I could tell you I walked on the water like Peter. I didn't. Maybe I'd had too much unbelief. I don't know. But I just remember seeing him walking out right. He says, here comes another one. And so, you know, my point is this. Is sometimes God wants us to realize that he wants to speak to us and relate to us in very simple ways. He wants our faith to grow into knowing who he is. And so in this passage, we find that these men have a need. And as they come, the Bible says they're coming. It starts with a vision. There was a vision imparted. And that vision was, is that God can heal. God can do all things. Vision starts with a seed. That seed has instruction in it. That seed has a DNA. And what vision does is vision will always move you. Everyone say move. Faith moves you to act. The second thing about faith is faith always comes to God. Notice verse 3. It says, as they came and they came to him, bringing the paralytic who was carried by four men. Faith causes you to draw near to him. Jesus was in the house, and as they're coming to him, notice verse 4, when they could not come near. Listen to this. Verse 3 says they came near, but verse 4 says when they came near, they couldn't reach him because of the crowd. How many here have ever prayed a prayer, you sought the Lord, or you had some expectancy, but you didn't feel that expectation was met? Have you ever felt like you prayed? You know, I've done this so many times. I prayed, I believed God, but for some reason, I just can't seem to get to the Lord. I just can't seem to get those answers coming in my life. I just can't seem it. It's worked before. It says that they came to him, bringing this need, but it says they could not come near him because of the crowd. Now notice what the rest of the verse says in verse 4. Because of the crowd, they uncovered the roof where he was. How many of you want to get to where he is? Guess what? You're going to have to try a new direction. God is going, if the way you've been using and working has not worked, guess what? some of you are going to start have to tear some roofs off the top of a house. Well, that's not the norm. The way you get into a house is through a door and maybe through a window, but not through a roof. Here's what faith is. Sometimes you have to look like a fool to get what you're seeking for. How many fools do we have out here? Paul says, I have become a fool for Christ. Sometimes when you begin to do things the way it's always been, God says, well, it was great back then, but now I want you to start tearing off the roof. Wait a minute. That's not the, that's not the way you enter into the house. Here's the thing. When you begin to run into an obstacle, do you know what the crowd was? A crowd says, 
It was a wall. A crowd is a wall that says you're not going to get your need met. It is a statement. It is an argument that Satan will use against you. I prayed before, I came before, I trusted before, but there was a crowd. I didn't get through, so I might as well turn around and go home. But you know what these four guys did? They became a fool. Now listen to me. God will often shut a door that you've gone through before because he's trying to open your eyes to see things completely differently. Do you know what getting on the roof involves? Looking up. Everyone say looking up. They had to look up. Not only did they have to look up, but they had to actually go against everything that is logical rational, and reasonable. I don't know about you, but if anybody tried to get into my house through the roof, I'd call the cops. I don't think this was their house. But they were determined to get to Jesus. And I love what it says. And by the Holy Spirit was speaking to me. It says that when they uncovered, verse 4, when they uncovered the roof, it was where he was. If I'm going to get where he is, God's going to ask me to do things that are unconventional. Not the way I thought would happen. I'm going to read a little story to you. How many here have ever seen the movie Karate Kid? Well, I, I really wasn't... I, you know, I, if you, any of you are out there, karate or judo people, I, I'm, I'm really not a karate person. I... I'd lose any battle on that one. But uh, I, I read this article and I thought it was interesting. I might even be saying uh, the name of the mentor. His name could be wrong. But this, this movie, the very first Karate Kid went clear back into the 1980s. And it came out and it was about a skinny kid by the name of Daniel who runs into, some old, into an old Japanese gardener by the name of Mr. Maijai. Let's one, one, give me one, what? Miyahi? Well, you know who I'm talking about. I'll just call him Mr. M, okay? I, you're all, and you're, you're right. I know I was saying that wrong. Mr. M, I'll just say Mr. M. And in the scene of the movie, Daniel is being bullied by some local kids who are being taught, who, who are being taught karate by a sadistic leader at the local dojo. Uh, Mr. M shows up out of nowhere and rescues Daniel from the beating, and Mr. M is a laconic character who quickly dispatches the arrogant bullies with some incredible martial arts. Daniel then asks Mr. M to teach him karate, and out of that request comes an incredible friendship that develops between the two. Daniel shows up on the first day of instruction, raring and ready to get involved with some sparring. Instead, Mr. M asked him to polish his cars. You remember the routine, wax on, wax off. This is followed the next day with another menial job, painting both sides of the six-foot fence with Mr. M, pointing out spots that Daniel had missed. How sad. Hey, I would just 
painted the fence for nothing, and now he's pointing out the spots that I missed. By the way, this is called discipleship. Mr. M points out the spots that Daniel missed. The next he finds himself sanding the floor. Sand the floor, Mr. M says. The young man is rapidly approaching the limits of his patience. He wants to learn karate instead. So he, and he wants to throw a few punches, anything except this mind-numbing routine. Nearly a week has transpired. Daniel shows up at Mr. M's house only to be greeted by a letter instructing him now to paint his house. Daniel works all day fuming over the senselessness of the task he's been asked to do. He finishes the painting in the house only to be greeted by his mentor returning from a relaxing trip. Mr. M stoically once again points out the spots that Daniel had missed. That was, that was more than the young man could take. He storms off slinging vindictive one-liners at Mr. M and as he exits, Mr. M commands him to return. The, total, the totality frustrated the youngster. He comes back and he stands before his future mentor ready to explode. Suddenly, Mr. M throws a karate punch his way and Daniel instinctively blocks the blow with the same hand motion he had been using as he painted the house. Then in rapid fire succession, Mr. M calls out, sand the floor, paint the fence, wax on, wax off. Each motion of Daniel's hands turns out to be the perfect counterpunch to block the various karate blows that Mr. M is throwing his way. It is a magnificent scene as Daniel's eyes begin to light up with the realization that Mr. M had been teaching and entraining him the entire time. He thought he was in exile from his dream of learning karate. What a profound portrayal of our difficulties with God at times. Sometimes we don't even realize that God's teaching us the very thing we're desiring. He's teaching us the very things that we're desiring, but, th but yet we think that God has to move within the, the framework of what I think it should be. That's why we should never despise the days of small beginnings. God will use people. God will use circumstances. God will use problems. You say, God, this is a waste of time. Don't count it out. Amen. Don't count it out. Amen. Everyone say, don't count it out. All things work together for what? For good. And so what, what I see here is these men back in Mark chapter 2, they came and they got blocked. They got hindered. And they said, what's the use? They didn't say what's the use. What they said, you know what? There's got to be another way. There's another way. I'm not giving up on this. I'm not quitting on this. I believe God has another way. And he's trying to open my eyes. He is trying to expand my wineskin. Amen. All of a sudden, these guys are tearing the roof apart. Do you know sometimes you can't experience healing until you begin to, are willing to look at some things? Amen? Got to be willing to look at some things. I got to be willing to say, wow, has what I think 
And has my wineskin been so rigid that I can't even allow the Holy Spirit to use different ways or means or situations to begin to bring? You may not even realize it, but God is setting you up for promotion. Setting you up for blessing. God does not waste His time. Doesn't waste any experience. There is no experience that is wasted. There's no such thing as wasted years. God will use everything that comes your way, but you have to make a decision. You can stay in failure, or you can say, I'm going to rise above this. I can do that. It's a decision. Do you know God never condemns you? He does not set you on the shelf for failure. But what God does have a problem with is when you decide to quit. When you choose to withdraw and say, you know what, I'm just in exile. Didn't go the way I thought it should. Let me tell you something. You can be, you can be missing it, but God has something powerful, just like what happened with old Mr. M teaching this young man. He, he thought he was going to spar right off the bat, but Mr. M realized there's some other things he needed to learn before he went in the direction that the young man wanted him to go. The, the, the fourth thing that I think is important is this, when it comes to faith. And when it says that Jesus saw their faith is this. The last one was that we got to become a fool and work through the unthinkable, unthinkable to begin to experience the supernatural. The thing that I think is so powerful about these four men is that faith always has compassion for others. When these guys were coming to meet Jesus, they were not coming to get a blessing. They were coming to be a blessing. And what they were doing is they were here to be a blessing for other people. They weren't there to just hear for themselves. These guys were working together, and as they were working together, they were there on behalf of their friend or whoever that colleague was to see him blessed. Do you know that one of the best ways you can get blessed is when you get your eyes off yourself and you start being a blessing to others? It's the key to the kingdom. The Bible says, though he was crucified in weakness, yet he lived by the power of God. Do you know that you're the strongest when you're the weakest? And that's when God can use you when you're weak. The last thing is this about faith. What Jesus saw in their faith is that faith always works together as a team. Everyone say a team. Can you imagine if one of the four said, you know what, I don't like this. I don't want to be a part of this team. I don't want to go through the roof. I just don't think that's God. But they all, I'm sure there might have been, it doesn't say, the scripture doesn't say there was an argument, doesn't say there was discussion. But I wonder if one of them could have said, you know what, I don't think that's the best way to do it by going through somebody's rafters. But you know what? They all decided and they began to realize that the blessing Jesus, see, it says when he saw their faith, he saw guys with a vision. He saw guys that were coming to him. Number three, he saw guys that was willing to become a fool and willing to do things and even go beyond their own limitations and do something that had never been done before by coming through a roof. 
You see, let me tell you, your obstacle is intended by God to sometimes adjust your direction or the way you're seeing things or doing things because he wants to expand you. So don't ever minimize or don't ever say, well, God's obviously not coming through for me. He's not answering my prayer. There's a crowd. I'm not important. No, you're important. Your crowd and your wall was intended to open your eyes to something he wants you to begin to launch into. Maybe others have gone through the roof before. Actually, I don't know of anybody in the whole Bible that's gone through a roof. It says that when Jesus saw their faith and he saw the unity of the team, they're working together as a team. Notice it doesn't say that in verse one about those who came. They just come. There's a lot of people today that just come, they hear the word, but they don't come with a sense of acting on the word. They don't come with expectancy. See, when I come, I'm acting on what he says. And the last thing is that they worked as a team and they, they, their, their desire was to be a blessing and have compassion on those around them. You know, there's been times where Carol and I, and I'm sure many of you as well, I wanna commend you as a church because so many of you have served, you give, you, you've been such a blessing. In fact, this church has been such a giving, serving, working church. Many of you, you serve and you're such a blessing. And, uh, you know, we are so proud of you just to be connected, associated with you because you have blessed God, you've launched out, you've, you've believed the Lord in difficult times and, you know, God's rewarding you. He will reward you. He will not sh- come short of that. And so... I believe God wants to bring revival to this house. I believe he wants to bring an explosion of joy, an explosion of tremendous miracles in our life. But I also believe that he wants us to learn to face obstacles with a fresh new faith of saying, you know what, God's using this to help expand my vision, to help me grow that there's other ways he wants me to develop in. Amen? Amen. Let's bow our heads, shall we? Maybe this morning you say, you know, Pastor Ray, I, I, uh, I need the Lord to just help my faith grow. I feel like I've become weary, been tired. I felt like even at times my faith comes under attack. But I need the Lord. I just need the Lord to just bring an impartation today of life in my life. I know God wants to do a new thing. God wants to do something fresh, not just on the weekends. He wants to do something fresh on Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday. Every day, we're going from glory to glory. And that's why it's so important that when we understand revival, what revival is, revival is God moving even outside the parameters of our own boundaries that we even put on ourselves or on God. And that's what these four men did. They begin to realize, even though they came to God, there was no way in. They begin to realize, you know, God's gonna take us a different direction. He's moving us in a different direction. And we're gonna start responding to, to that word. And I'm sure there was some hesitancy and they were trying to be careful, sometimes being believing God, sometimes trusting God is not about always being careful. You, you wanna use wisdom, but at the same time, there's times where It's a risk. There's a risk involved. God wants to begin to bring expansion. And from that, we see Jesus raising 
that man from his sickbed because of the faith of these four men. They were nameless in Scripture. But Jesus saw break through faith. Maybe this morning you say, you know, Pastor Ray, I, I need that kind of miracle working faith in my life. I've limited God. I've limited myself. Believing that God could do something beyond the boundaries or beyond the thing that I've walked through, I just need my boundaries to be expanded, my vision to be enlarged today. If that's you, just raise your hand. I'm going to pray for you. Amen. This morning. Anyone else? Amen. Father, just see you see these hands. Father, we just pray for an expansion. I raise my hands too, because Pastor Ray needs greater expansion. Pastor be refreshed on a daily basis. Father, I pray that you would just continue like these four men. Lord, help us to to be resolved in the fact that with God, all things are possible to them that believe. Lord, we will not come against obstacles or problems like these men, Lord. They didn't shut down. They didn't quit. They didn't run. But Lord, you said there's another way. They spoke faith. They spoke vision. They believed God, and Lord, you made a way because you saw their faith. And everyone said, I want you to notice something. It didn't say Jesus saw their need. It said when Jesus saw faith. Let me say that again. This may shock you, and it even sounds a little insensitive. God doesn't respond to needs. He responds to faith when he saw their faith. Amen? And some of you right now are at a crossroads. Some of you are in a place where God wants to begin to launch you into some areas, maybe in business, maybe in your marriage, maybe in a relationship, maybe just in areas in your own home. But God wants you to have a vision that he's for you, he's not against you. He's with you, he's not against you. Amen? We have exciting future. By the way, we got some awesome meetings coming up here. And uh, we're also going to call a season of fasting and prayer. How many of you believe that revival has to start with fasting and prayer? Fasting and prayer is critical for anything we do. Critical. So let's stand to our feet, and I'm going to close and release you. If any of you would like prayer, feel free to come. We'd love to pray, minister over you. Don't forget life groups tonight. Father, we thank you for your your word. We thank you for the Holy Spirit. We thank you, Lord, that we serve a God who does the unthinkable, does the impossible, does the unreachable. Lord, you expand us beyond the unthinkable and you do the things, Lord, that that are so exceedingly above what we could ever ask or think. Father, we just pray today that our faith will continue to grow. Our hearts will continue to enlarge. We would, as these four men, Lord, have compassion to be a blessing rather than just come to get a blessing. Lord, we thank you for your love. We thank you for the word of the Lord. And everyone said, amen. Amen. Turn to someone and bless them in Jesus' name. God bless.